I, I had a, a father that called and he wanted to know if he should vaccinate his, uh, I think his son was 12, had just recovered from COVID. And he said, oh, I have to go get him vaccinated, right? I, before he can even be around people. I said, well, first of all, they don't recommend vaccination after you've recovered for at least 90 days number one. And then I'm starting to talk about things like natural immunity. I said, well, if they pull this call, I'm going to be in some trouble, you know, but I just, there's no way I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to recommend vaccination. You know, we all have our proverbial line in the sand, or we should have our proverbial line in the sand. And, you know, this was it for me. And, you know, I would, I would gladly debate any nurse or even a physician on the necessity of vaccinating otherwise healthy children against a virus with a 99.9815% survival rate. I mean, in the absence of safety data with negligible risk, this is not only absurd, this should be criminal. This should absolutely be criminal. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw and welcome back to the Vibe show. Today I'm bringing you a really brave nurse and Kimberly Overton, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. I appreciate you. My pleasure. And I just want to thank you in advance because I've come to the conclusion when we just did this Florida speaking tour that you told me that you really wanted to speak on. And yes. unfortunately we're connecting after the fact and we should have, we should have a whole tour. That's just the nurses, just the brave nurses speaking up. But I, I said to the audience, you for driving across town and coming to this event are one in 10,000 kind of people. I mean, we've learned that as we watch the people around us, right? A lot of people are even sort of awake they're awakening. They're mad that they got the vaccine. They got one and didn't do well, or their child didn't do well, or their mom died after it or whatever. They refused to get the second one. Many people lost their jobs, but there's, there's not one in, there's not one in 10,000 people who's willing to do something as big as drive across town and sit in that audience. And so I just told the audience, like how grateful I am that to be in a room full of these one in 10,000 kind of people. And I extend that same compliment to you. Thank you are a one in 10,000 kind of person. And so just thank you for your courage. Thank you. And for what you've done. So let's, let's start with, you're working in an ICU through COVID. Start, start with us in what, March of 2020 or whenever you want to start. What was your experience? So yeah, March of 2020, you know, as the pandemic starts, you know, to really take off, it was just complete chaos. You know, um, our patients were so sick, you know, despite all of our best efforts, our patients were just not improving. They were not improving at all. Um, it was they're just very disheartening. You know, after 18 months of working throughout the pandemic, I just decided that, you know, I'd had enough because from day one, literally nothing made any logical sense, right? And you're in Tennessee. I should have yes. said that. Yes, I'm in Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. Um, but, you know, every new COVID policy that, that would come out just seemed to fly in the face of everything that we had long known to be true as nurses, you know, as it relates to infection control. They have us wearing the same N95 mask for multiple shifts in a row. They have us wearing our mask going from our COVID patient room to our non-COVID patient room. Um, 
you know, with the same mask on. Now, prior to COVID, the infection control policies never would have allowed for anything like this. You know, and then in regard to immunology, we've long known that we, our bodies need exposure to viruses and bacteria. These are literally the building blocks of our immune system. Yet all of a sudden we're told that we need to mask everywhere that we go. Just nothing is making sense, even as it relates to nursing care. You know, autonomy, informed consent, all of those guiding principles of ethical nursing suddenly are just so easily dismissed. You know, nothing is making sense. But in the what about what about natural immunity? Was that something that's well known among nurses, and then suddenly there's they want oh. to make that whole idea go away? Exactly right. Exactly right. You know, all of a sudden if we're talking about fall of science. You, you can't ignore the science of natural immunity. You know, there's been a multitude of studies that have been done. There's been well over 100 studies that have been done um, that have shown that, vac- I'm sorry, natural immunity is still far superior to vaccinal immunity. It's durable. It's complete. It's robust. You know, it is in all likelihood lifelong. Mm-hmm. So, you know. So what, w- what were you doing? Were you there? Were you involved with all these patients getting vented? Did you feel like they were getting sick from COVID and dying of COVID? Or did you see lots of crazy going on with the way they were treated? And you started to wonder if that was part of why they were dying? Yeah. Well, you know, at first it it was, it was, I feel like I started to get those feelings after I had left the bedside. When I'm in it, I'm just going, I just don't understand. You know, these patients are just not getting any better and I can't understand it. You know, initially I'm thinking, well, this remdesivir, you know, if nothing, that's not working clearly, but why are these patients not getting any better? Um, you know, but I, I left the bedside just due to the, the deadly hospital protocols that are being used, specifically the remdesivir, you know. Remdesivir, it's a very costly medication, right? It's about $3,000 for a typical five-day course of remdesivir. You know, already multiple physicians have come forward saying that this actually increases mortality rate, it decreases renal function. We've long known that medication to be nephrotoxic, yet I've seen it given to patients already in renal failure. I mean, make it make sense. That seems so patently contraindicated. I'm not a nurse, but that seems, I mean... It's very well known that remdesivir causes a lot of kidney failure. So they're literally giving it to patients who are already in kidney failure. Already in kidney failure. And I'm like, what kind of sense does this make? Now, you know, the multiple physicians have come forward and said it uh, decreases renal function at about 20% of patients. I personally think that number is likely much higher than that um, even. But the, the problem with using remdesivir um, in hospitalized patients. So by the time that they are admitted to the hospital, they are already typically well past the replication phase, right? They're already into the symptomatic phase, multiple days into the symptomatic phase. So antivirals, they are going to depend on, on um, some form of viral replication in order to be effective. So by the time they get to us, you know, with little to no viral replication, it's not going to be effective in treating COVID or any other virus. Because now yeah. you're into the phase where there's a lot of inflammation and maybe the lungs are filling up with fluids, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then what's interesting about it is the WHO, the World Health Organization, actually recommended against the use of remdesivir because it is not effective in treating COVID patients. It's, studies have been done, massive global studies have shown you know, that it is not effective and has had little to no effect on hospitalized patients. And, and for that reason... So you have to ask yourself, why then are the hospitals continuing, you know, to use this medication that has been clearly 
doing more harm than good. Well, so now now we have in 2022, we have Fauci and the captured agencies telling us that we're going to, it's now our way of treating COVID. I don't even know if there are little tiny children and infants getting COVID, but we want to give remdesivir to infants and small children. But this is interesting what you said that World Health Organization was advising against the use of remdesivir. And that makes me wonder, like sometimes we get glimpses of the internal struggle of all these people who were doing this to us, because it was May 1st, 2020, when Fauci decreed that remdesivir would be used nationwide. And so all these hospitals that take money from CMS, especially the Medicaid, Medicare, who are highly dependent on federal dollars, all of a sudden, like you have no choice and they bully you into using remdesivir, which you can't even make a case that remdesivir helps. No, exactly and the the data that Fauci shared is literally two links, two links to studies, both of which have terrible outcomes for remdesivir. So you're seeing this, and you're starting to wonder, like, when were you starting to wonder, like, this remdesivir clearly doesn't work. We're not seeing good outcomes with patients. Did you start to wonder if remdesivir plus? See, what I wonder is remdesivir plus all these sedative and paralytic drugs with the vent. What about the combination of those drugs? No one's studying that. Exactly right. And, you know, they they tell us that that COVID is killing all of these patients, right? But is COVID killing these patients or is it the complete and total medical mismanagement of COVID that's killing them? You know, and after I worked through that pandemic for 18 months, you know, my personal opinion is that it is it's the latter. It is the medical mismanagement of COVID. You know, if the virus alone were killing these patients, then why are we not pulling bodies from homes and off of the street and masks? Why? You know, but the reality of it is, is that patients are not dying at home. They're not dying on our streets. They are dying in our hospitals. And we have got to start asking ourselves why, you know, and, and for myself, I just could not watch one more patient needlessly die. Um, you know, when I know that there is effective treatment available, you know, three, through um, safe and effective repurposed therapeutics. You know, medications that, you know, despite what the mainstream media is going to tell you, um, you know, it's been safely used in humans <laughs> for three decades, you know. Not and just horses. Not, not just, just horses, horses anymore. <laughs> in humans. And it's been, it has a higher safety profile than that of an aspirin. You know, even just results that I've personally witnessed have been, comp- I'm astounding. You know, and people will dismiss that as anecdotal, but, you know, the reality is that the vast majority of people who are treated early with these medications like ivermectin, like hydroxychloroquine, they are vastly improved within as few as 48 hours in most cases. Yeah. When I got COVID, my husband and I got COVID in August of last year, so 2021, and we couldn't get our hands on any ivermectin. I wasn't in a panic, but I thought we'd be fine with or without ivermectin. We, we were pretty sick, but we finally got our hands on some in week two. I think we got on day eight. So like you said, past the viral rep- replication week, yes. now we're into inflammatory week, which just wasn't that bad for us. Like we weren't, like our oxygen saturation never fell. But after my experience with COVID and starting to see all kinds of signs out there that I really felt they're trying to drive ivermectin off the market. Like they're trying to make it unavailable. They've done all kinds of shenanigans to avoid people being able to get ivermectin because we like, if we could get someone to prescribe it and here, when you're sick, you don't want to be trying to get your hands on it. So I told people, get your hands on it now. 
and put it in the freezer because then you don't have to worry about the expiration date. But we like CVS wouldn't even fill it when I finally got a prescription for it. And I'm totally sick in bed. CVS said, we literally will not fill this prescription. And my nurse practitioner back in Utah who had prescribed it for me said, this has never happened in my career. Never Never once in my career have I been told I can't have a drug for something. And then when we finally got it, it was five doses. And here it's like for me and my husband. So we both took it for like two days or one of us took it for three days. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it really moved the needle for me. My husband thinks it moved the needle for him, but I thought that was interesting because I had a lawyer here who showed up at the tour. I've met so many doctors and lawyers and nurses who showed up. And, um, this attorney, he's a Harvard educated attorney. He came and hung out on the beach. He and his family with us on, on mother's day yesterday. And he said, because he was studying it, he was using it on his cattle in Bolivia. He like left and went to Bolivia. I know, crazy story. But he knew all about ivermectin and its many uses against viruses before COVID. And so he was out there just taking the slings and arrows at the very beginning of COVID trying to say, hey, ivermectin works and he was just getting attacked. And he said, ivermectin doesn't even have an expiration date. Like you could literally keep it like forever. I don't know if that's true. And I don't know if you know that, but I'm not sure I told, I've heard, I have, I've heard something similar to that. I'm not sure. I'd have to look into that one. Yeah. I mean, that's super interesting. Cause I was telling people like, get some, put it in the freezer. All these people who are now like, are you aware that um, it's really well proven now that you're like 20 to 35% more likely to get Omicron if you're vaccinated? Yes. Yeah. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so people, these people who are, you know, they're, immune system is clearly suppressed from getting the the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what other conclusion you come to. They need to have some ivermectin on hand. And maybe even when people start getting sick, whenever the next wave of whatever comes through, people probably ought to have some ivermectin. Definitely. And you know what's, what's really interesting is that I've never had COVID. I've never had COVID. I worked throughout the entire, right? I've worked throughout the entire pandemic directly caring for COVID patients. Um, to make it even more interesting, I am actually on medication that suppresses my immune system. Still have not had COVID. Yeah. Um, what do you What do you think is the reason? Were you taking ivermectin once a week prophylactically, or what? I was not at that time. I was. I did start taking it prophylactically, but that was long after you know I had already left the bedside. So after I had worked and directly cared for those patients, I had never gotten it. The only thing I can think of, and I did check my antibodies. I thought, well, maybe I just had it and didn't realize it. I have no antibodies. Um, so I'm not sure if I have some kind of just super freakish, you know, cross immunity from a previous COVID, SARS-CoV-1. I'm not sure. Um, or just lucky, who knows, or blessed. Well, the, the good news is, yeah, I don't know about luck because you were, you know, being exposed to it all the time, but, um, something in your immune system is strong and that's pretty cool. But yeah. the good news is if you get it now, you'll get Omicron and you'll be a little bit sick for two days and be fine. Exactly. I mean, I'm almost at the point where I would rather just get it and get yeah. it over with while I'm you know, still relatively healthy. I can probably just get it, be done with it and have that wonderful natural immunity. Um, I think that would be perfectly fine. I'm ready for it whenever it comes to getting. <laughs> yeah. Not, not that anybody in charge cares whether you have immunity or not. Right. You've probably noticed your boss doesn't care. The hospitals you work at don't care. Tony Fauci certainly doesn't care. The the president of the United States doesn't care. You have to get the job anyway. Like this, this should disturb everyone. Um, when you say left the bedside, what, what does that mean? So you were caring for patients, you were at their bedside, and then did you transfer somewhere else for, for, for just because you were seeing this whole thing is so corrupt? 
Yeah, actually, I started to work from home. Um, I, I left the bedside and I started working um, from home as a telephone triage nurse. You know, and that's something that I thought was going to be a really good alternative for me. It was kind of good to get away from the stress of everything that, you know, it was a really difficult time, obviously, working through that um that through the pandemic. So I thought it was going to be great, a great alternative. You know, for a while it was. It was a perfect setup. I got to work from home, get to work in my pajamas. It's great, you know. Um, and I'd actually been exempted from the mandates. I'm not vaccinated. And I was exempted from the mandates. I was considered a 100% work from home employee. Um, but there again, I started becoming uncomfortable with the protocols that they are, are wanting me to follow. So they wanted us to encourage vaccination to everyone. We all know that, you know, healthcare is not one size fits all, right? But then the protocols dictated that we were to say that these medications are safe and effective, period. Well, first of all, we have no way of knowing that. We have no long-term safety data. We cannot say that. You know, yeah, that, so- um, that big Pfizer data dump, 80,000 documents, one of them shows that they never did any safety testing on pregnant women. And then we literally just carte blanche made every woman, pregnant woman in America get it and all the OBGYNs and all the pediatricians were just told, just do it, and just do it anyway. And they didn't, they did not test whether the spike protein and other toxins in the jab come through breast milk. I mean, that's all in the Pfizer data dump that they wanted to wait 75 years to release. Exactly. Exactly. Right in the Pfizer's informed consent document, it says right on there that they don't know the effects on the fetus. Yet every OBGYN you go to is recommending it and saying it's safe and effective. Now, that does not meet the standard for informed consent because we don't have the safety data. And if you're not sharing that information and you're telling these patients that it's safe and effective, number one, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's not even that it doesn't meet the standard for informed consent. It is a straight out lie. Um, But, you know, I just started becoming uncomfortable because, you know, I am a nurse. I believe in informed consent. I'm very passionate about that. And this does not meet the standard at all. So I, I just started to become uncomfortable with even, even the work from home stuff. So you're working from home and you're having to give people advice and they're probably recording you so that they know what advice you're giving and you're being told to give advice that you don't believe in. Correct. And I would kind of go, you know, all around the world about it. I I had, um, you know, I've, I've gone off script a few times, you know, started talking about things like natural immunity and antibodies because these people had already had COVID and, you know, um, I, I had a, a father that called and he wanted to know if he should vaccinate his, uh, I think his son was 12, had just recovered from COVID. And he said, oh, I have to go get him vaccinated, right? I, before he can even be around people. I said, well, first of all, they don't recommend vaccination after you've recovered for at least 90 days, number one. And then I'm starting to talk about things like natural immunity. I said, well, if they pull this call, I'm going to be in some trouble, you know, but I just, there's no way I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to recommend vaccination. You know, we all have our proverbial line in the sand, or we should have our proverbial line in the sand. And, you know, this was it for me. And, you know, I would, I will gladly debate any nurse or even a physician on the necessity of vaccinating otherwise healthy children against a virus with a 99.9815% survival rate. I mean, in the absence of safety data, with negligible risk. This is not only absurd, this should be criminal. This should absolutely be criminal. And, seeing and those, 
those kids who died that are whatever is remaining of the 99.9815%, what is that? The 0.00, whatever, whatever it is, those, those are kids who had leukemia and been in chemo for two years and or type one diabetics and obese. And like those, I'm not saying their lives don't matter. I'm saying they didn't die of COVID. Yeah, they didn't die of COVID. They were already really sick kids. There's a difference of dying of COVID, dying with COVID. Yeah. So, you know, no matter where you fall on this issue, you know, we all, you know, seem to agree that children are at low risk. And when we say low risk, it's essentially zero risk of death from COVID. You know, so why then would we even consider giving these, you know, experimental vaccines to children in less than a year? You know, we have seen more reported deaths and injuries from the COVID shot than from all vaccines on the CDC schedule combined for the last 30 years. You know, and there's, it's a positive reporting system. I'll say that. And a report does not necessarily mean causation, right? But certainly this should serve as a safety signal. You know, the CDC has not conducted a comprehensive investigational review of these deaths and injuries that have been reported. And this absolutely needs to happen, you know, and keeping in mind that there have been studies that have been done, uh, most notably by Harvard Pilgrimage, um, that reports of deaths and injuries to the VAERS database are drastically underreported. We're talking about around only 1%, 1%. Another recent study that was done um, by Mass General Brigham showed that for anaphylaxis, which you cannot miss, anaphylaxis was around 50 to 120 times more cases than were actually being reported. 150, there's there's 150 to 250 times more anaphylaxis than got reported to VAERS? 50 to 120 times more. 50 to 120. So yeah. that means that there's something like one in 100 healthcare workers, or actually, because there's probably a lot of healthcare workers involved in it, 99 mm. out of 100 of them were willing to just look the other way and do nothing to report it. Yes. And, you know, the patient doesn't even know VAERS exists. I'm a lot of the reason I'm so awake on this subject from day one is that I was injured by the flu vaccine, spent several years, mostly in bed as a young mom. I had two children at the time. And and then I injured my son with a completely different vaccine. He's completely healthy. And all of a sudden he's in and out of hospitals. And we just accept this. We accept this in America. And this all was like literally a quarter of a century ago. When like talking about it is just almost everyone you talk to about it is going to either dismiss you, they're going to gaslight you, they're going to call you crazy or a liar. So like this isn't new. It's just worse. And it's happening at, at scale. Exactly. To, to where there's massive numbers of people. You know, after I did this tour, one of the things, there's five huge dramas that we had to deal with throughout the tour. I mentioned one to you, sort of, sort of mentioned it to you before we got started. But one of them was this big, huge smear campaign against me in mainstream media afterwards. And it's a former disgruntled employee of mine that they changed her voice and changed her her uh, appearance. And like my my whole staff instantly knew it was her. And she was literally saying, I've known her for decades and she's lying she was never in bed. She was sick. Well, she met me when my oldest son was in fourth grade. He was two and a half when I got that 
that flu jab in 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 uh, grad school. And she wasn't there. Like, she doesn't even know anything about it. But she was willing to go on mainstream media. I don't know who was recruiting who, her or them recruiting each other. But I was like, did you see? I didn't watch the piece. I just have had people tell me about it. And then they did a follow-up piece and whatever. I mean, they're just like, we're going for going for the throat. Like, anything they could come up with with me, acting like I'm some huge public figure. I'm a minor public figure at best. And, uh, it, I mean... That was like a like next generation gaslighting when someone who did not even know me back when I was in grad school will go on mainstream media and say, she is lying. I've known her for decades. Yeah, you've known me for 20 years. And this literally happened close to 30 years ago. And then I spent four years studying how to detoxify the body and how to get well. And mostly haven't talked about why I got sick in the first place. You know, what's weird is nobody asks me. Right. We are, we have so we, we it's so normal now that we're all sick and everybody has autoimmune disease. Nobody even it's it's completely it's not healthy, but it's almost normal. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, I have, I have autoimmune disease as well, and that, that's why I'm on the you know medication to suppress my immune system. I figured. Uh, you've, you've got to wonder, you know, how much of this is like you said, it's just something that's accepted, and it's like we're not we're not connecting the dots. And for myself, I never really did either. You know, I, I never really looked at it and I start. Um, this is something I'm having a hard time processing now is that, you know, I've been very pro vaccine my entire life and my entire nursing career. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, well, why, why am I so pro vaccine? Um, I didn't know what was in those vaccines. Here I was encouraging parents to vaccinate their children. I'm actually vaccinating children. I, you know, I'm giving them and administering these shots. And, you know, shame on me for not looking deeper into it. And I can assure you that will never happen again. But I, I have a hard time. Like, I get very emotional when I think about it because, like, I didn't know. You know, didn't and, know. and I, well, I have to be able to give myself some grace with that. But it's, yes. I feel like this is kind of my penance. <laughs> you know, what I'm, what I'm doing, um, in, in trying to, trying to help and elevate these, these stories for, for I, some of these people. I think the vast majority of us who are involved in this fight are doing some kind of penance. I have said the same thing for injuring my son and, um, not knowing better. And I didn't injure him once. I injured him over and over again because I didn't connect them because, you know, I'm always trying to explain to people, you know, it's not like most of us don't have anaphylactic shock where they inject it into our arm and we're on the ground seizing or whatever instantly. It's over the course of months, we have escalating symptoms and we don't know why. And we've seen lots of people around us for years and decades. I, I'm glad to hear that you're even asking that question because I think it's the one good thing that's come out of this whole COVID debacle is as you've seen how willing the government, the captured agencies and pharma are, are to how willing they are to lie to us, yes. to lie to us, to cover us up, to destroy the careers of people like you and me. And it sounds like you've been playing Bob and weave too, which has been, you know, my career I'm canceled by three central banking institutions. Like that's the next thing is they come after your ability to even transact in the financial world, like it's not, they're not, they're not joking around, but people are waking up to the bigger fraud, which is the entire vaccine industry. 
everything, big pharma, the vaccine industry. And, you know, I don't think I ever realized how corrupt, I mean, I always knew it was, you know, more of a profit and over patient care. I mean, that's, I've been in healthcare industry for 25 years. So I understand that, but I don't think I really realized to the level that I see it now. And once you see it, you cannot unsee this, this corruption. You cannot, there's no going back once your eyes are completely open to it. But, you know, what they're doing now is, you know, they are working feverishly, right, to try to add this vaccine to the CDC schedule. Um, that makes these shots mandatory to attend public school. And what, I, what I'm finding that many people don't realize, many people are not aware that once a, a vaccine is added to that CDC schedule, that that removes all liability from the manufa- manufacturers and from those administering the shots. People I, I believe it, I believe they have no liability anyway. Yeah, they really don't. They really don't. Which I is, mean, if if we can prove, and the Pfizer data dump shows it, if we can prove felonious, as in felony level awareness mm-hmm. of the damage that their product does before they inflicted it on the people, which I, I'm sorry, 1,291 different diseases that they knew that their shot caused before they inflicted it on most of 200 million Americans. I'm talking about Pfizer here. That pierces that corporate veil. Like they are, they are absolutely in legal jeopardy. And that's, you know, a lot of why they didn't want to release their documents is because they knew 1,291 diseases, some of them terrifying diseases, some of them gene altering diseases. This is after they lied to us and said, and said that it that this mRNA cannot alter our DNA. Tell me, tell me about um, how many of your coworkers were somewhat to very awake and just kept carrying on. Yeah, you know, there. I mean, there were a few. There were a few who would ask questions. You know, um, there were a few who would ask questions of it, and, and you know. They, but they were asking questions of like each other. They weren't, you know, at some point, which is great because, you know, it, it does help with the, you know, like let's critically think and all of that. But at some point, we've got to start asking these questions, not just of each other on our shift, but we've got to start asking on up the, the chain, you know, well, what, what is, you know, we have to be bold enough to take a stand and question what's going on. You know, as nurses, we're literally hardwired, right, to think critically and to ask questions, not to just, blindly follow the science, you know, and it seemed like there were, there were a few, like I said, a few nurses that were asking the questions, but there were too many, you know, there were too many that were just so completely closed off to any other options. Um, you know, and they just, it's really, it's really tempting to buy into the very simple mm-hmm. promise of if I get this little injection, just right. pinches for a second I am now, I am now protected. It's such a tempting little fiction. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that have been great? You know, I was questioning it just not even before I realized that there was anything really nefarious going on. I was just questioning like, well, we don't have any safety data. I just really don't feel comfortable. I have all these autoimmune conditions and I don't know how my body will react to it. Um, but there were so many nurses that just weren't asking these simple basic questions or even saying, well, gee, we don't have the safety data. Maybe it's, you know, we should just wait a little bit or, you know, maybe just give it to those who are at really high risk. 
Um, but so many just became like robots, you know, they just with this, they were parroting that ridiculous mantra, just like follow the science. And again, like nurses were literally hardwired to think critically, to ask these questions. And again, if we're talking about actual science, then we cannot ignore natural immunity. Um, you know, but I feel like for, I, I want to scream at people because I'm like, do you understand? I have left my job. I resigned my position as a nurse, but I, I wasn't going to be able to vaccinate. Uh, I wasn't going to be able to encourage people to vaccinate their children, you know? So, so I resigned, I resigned my position rather than do that. Um, I didn't have the financial provisions to do this. I left a career that I love. I love being a nurse. This is all I wanted to do since I was two years old. Yeah. You know, I've never wanted to do anything else in my life. Um, and I'm like, do you really think I would leave my career that I, and again, I've worked in healthcare 25 years, but I've only been a nurse for, I guess, six years. I went back to school when I was 35. Um, and I, it took me what, five years to get a two year degree because I worked full time. And, you know, I worked very, very hard for my nursing degree because again, you know, this is all that I've, I've wanted to do. Um, and, and people don't understand, you know, they're, I'm like, why would I do this? Why would I leave my career, burn it to the ground? This is no way I'm going to, you know, anybody's ever going to hire me again uh, as a nurse. Although they're so short staff, possibly they would. I, I, I kind of wonder, I mean. I almost want to test the theory and, and then just be like, no, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm not coming back to you. You know, Dr. Dr. McCullough says on the tour here in Florida, we did a VIP event and he talked about how what's going on here is the biggest game of chicken in the history of the world. Yeah. And I have had that exact thought where it's like, they're pushing us, they're pushing us, they're pushing so many people to the edge of, oh my gosh, I still am paying. Like think about a doctor who's refusing to get the jab. He's been in his job for 16 years. He still has student loans. Let's say he's still paying off $200,000 worth of student loans because he went to John Hopkins or whatever, and and being pushed to the very edge, being told he's going to lose his job. What if he had stood strong, he lost that job, he got picked up by another hospital that actually honors choice or a private clinic where he would have been happier anyways, right. but most people lose the game of chicken and they manage to poison you because of your fear of being homeless and not being able to pay your rent or your mortgage. Exactly. And I mean, we, I, I have that fear. Trust me, I did not have the financial provisions to do this. You know, I had uh, a little bit of savings left. Uh, I don't have any, right now I have zero income, <laughs> zero income. And I did not have the financial provisions. I had enough savings that I thought I could potentially float for maybe a year. I was like, I'll be okay. You know, maybe for a year I'll be fine. Um, but, you know, who expected inflation to be what it is? I, you know, we might be talking six, seven months <laughs> now before I'm just completely drowning, you know, but, and I've had, I've had people come to me and offer me, you know, some opportunities to do, to do other things in nursing. But, you know, I really, when I started this organization, you know, I really don't want to take away from what I'm doing because I feel like what we're doing is important. So I really want to focus on growing Nurse Freedom Network. And I, you know, I've taken this giant leap of faith um, and, and I'm going to focus full time. I want to commit myself fully to this fight and to grow. So tell us about Nurse Freedom Network. What's, what's the goal of it? What's, is it, is it, is this a career move for you as well as a stand that you're taking morally? 
Yeah, well, I, it's turning into that. It is definitely turning into that. You know, so I started the organization back in July of 2021. You know, that's when I first started hearing about these mandates coming down, you know, and it seemed to hit those nonprofit facilities first, of course, that rely on those federal dollars. Um, and one of the very first places I'd heard about it happening was at um, Med Center in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Now, I'm a graduate, I'm a Western Kentucky University WKU grad, so I had actually done my clinicals at that facility and, and started my nursing career there. So then at that point, you know, it started to become personal for me because, you know, these are my colleagues and these are my friends, and they are suddenly being faced with, you know, termination, in many cases, no exemptions, no discussion, you know, over what should be a personal medical decision. Um, and I just knew, I recognized this for what it was early on. This is medical tyranny, plain and simple. That's all that this is. And I've recognized that from the beginning. So, you know, I started a Facebook group. I, was, I called it Healthcare Workers United Against Tyranny. And it was only ever meant just to be a place for myself and my colleagues to kind of get together and vent our frustrations, um, just try to navigate our way through these absolutely insane times that we're living through because nothing made any sense. And we're just trying to kind of be there for each other. Um, and it just, it just quickly evolved from there. You know, in August, I started to organize um, some protests at local hospitals that were firing their nurses. And then in October, I um, incorporated the uh, organization and we established as a 501c3 nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've just, we, we now have, we continue to grow. We now have uh, registered nurses in 14 states that are building advocacy teams. So it's, it's, it's kind of taken off a little bit. And, you know, I've gotten to speak um, at these events and no one starts fangirling a little bit over these doctors. I, I, I can't help it. But, I, you know, I've got to, you know, speak at these events, you know, with Dr. You know, Peter McCullough, Dr. Paul Merritt, Richard Orso, Dr. Robert Malone, Ryan Cole, um, Pierre Corey, all of these amazing physicians, you know, they have, they're risking everything. They they're risking, risking everything. everything and we should fangirl them because, like mm -hmm. I said, they are the one in 10,000. Exactly. And to be, we just had most of those guys with us when we traveled from the top to the bottom of Florida and... Uh, I think they can't they can't get enough love from the people who are awake because when they walk away from us they're out there taking body blows in the form of lawsuits against them uh losing their job getting kicked off of social media um and we don't know where this ends but I'll tell you when Peter McCullough was giving this little talk at the VIP event in the Panhandle and talking about how this is the biggest game of chicken in the world. And he said, and if you don't believe me, then you got to look at Teresa Long, Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long. She has refused to get the jobs. Mm -hmm. She has advocated for four people who are in her care as a medical doctor and as a Lieutenant Colonel in the Air Force. Uh, or maybe she's in the Navy. I can't remember. I think, I think, I think U.S. Air Force. And she was told by her superiors, nobody even knows where it goes up to, do not tell the truth in the court, in the courtroom. Matt Staver was also on some of these uh, events with us. Matt Staver, who runs Liberty Council, who's fighting for our healthcare workers and our students and our military. And yeah, so Peter McCullough is telling this, giving this talk about the biggest game of chicken in the world. And some guy, you know, probably drinking and probably a good guy. And I don't know if he's in the military or if his son is. He, does, he didn't look like he's in the military. He yells, even if there's a court martial, 
And I, I couldn't help myself. I was like, yes, even if there's a court martial, yes, even if there's a court martial, because what I'm dealing with, what Peter McCullough is dealing with is the equivalent in our jobs of a court martial. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. And that's why I said, you know, these, these doctors, and like you said, they deserve all the love in the world because they are literally, you know, risking everything for the sake of humanity. And I, I just, I so greatly respect every one of them for, for what they've done. You know, I've, and I've gotten to speak with, like I said, at several events, I've gotten to take part in, um, these absolutely epic events, defeat the mandates. You know, I got to be a speaker in uh, DC and LA. I was invited to speak at both of those events. And, you know, it's just been incredible. It's been incredible. And, um, you know, we, we continue to grow, but, um, one of the things that I really want to focus on with Nurse Freedom Network moving forward, you know, beyond the advocacy alone, um, we want to be able to create opportunities for nurses. That's always been part of my larger vision, um, you know, is being able to create these opportunities for nurses to break away from this broken and oppressive. And I'm just, I don't even call it a healthcare system anymore. It's a sick care system because like it, it does nothing to keep anyone well. Let's just. Yeah. Well, the, the doctors, I mean, we should look to medical schools. They don't actually teach the doctors anything about health or how to create health. And the only things that they're taught in, involve pharmacopoeia Mm-hmm. and surgeries and some technologies, some diagnostic technologies and some treatment te- technologies. They don't, these doctors don't know any more than the average person on the street. Like studies yeah. have been done. They don't have any more education in nutrition than the average person on the street. I mean, a doctor could go educate himself, but you know what, on this tour, we got in some, uh, you know, in the green rooms back there where Chris Wark and I are, you know, we got well him from cancer, me from a vaccine injury, eating plant-based. We kind of got into it with several of the doctors and they've been captivated by the carnivore diet or the keto diet or whatever. And we're like, Hey, you're kind of out of your lane. We're, we're the ones who've done the 10,000 hours here. Like these guys aren't like, I completely respect them, but they, you know, if your first awakening to nutrition is to go like read a fat diet book, you know, so, exactly. so I, you know, and it, it was fun and like everybody there respects each other and we're, we're all fangirling over these doctors because I mean, one in 10,000 might actually be pretty liberal. It might be more like one in 20,000 because you now Peter McCullough and I will text each other every time someone says to us, Oh, I just love what you're doing. Thank you so much. But I, I really want to support you, but, but in the background, Mm -hmm. in the background. Well, you, Kimberly, have chosen to fight at any cost in the foreground. Yes. And, and, and I just want to, I just want to honor you for that and appreciate you for that. And I know that people following me, like all the people who are, um, just want their simple belief that I just didn't keep injecting myself with whatever the government tells me to, I'll be safe from ever getting sick again. And then they don't even question, why do I keep getting sicker? Why do I have blood clots? Why do I have the prog- all these progressing autoimmune diseases? That's what it was for me with right. the flu jab. And you're probably, it sounds to me like you're questioning it. For me, it was, I was sick over and over and over and over and over again because my immune system was, was suppressed from the flu jab. And then it became an autoimmune disease. And the thing with autoimmune is one becomes two, becomes three, becomes four. 
Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's usually not just one, but you know, I've met some amazing, you know, I've met some amazing people on this journey since I started Nurse Freedom Network and going to these different events, you know, um, some of them have been seriously injured. You know, some have lost loved ones due to the vaccine or I won't even call it a vaccine because it's it's not a vaccine. It does not (laughs) meet the definition of a vaccine. It doesn't prevent transmission. We'll just call it a shot. Um, But you know, these, these people, I've, I've watched them just be, you know, discarded, disgraced, shamed, and bullied for sharing their stories. And I'm sure that you understand what I'm talking about as you've been through this, you know, and none of this is okay. You know, we must stand for these patients. If we as nurses are not standing in the gap for these patients, who is going to stand for them? You know, I mean, I, I just feel very obligated and very passionate about that as a nurse. I want to stand for these people, you know, and one of the people that I met on this journey, um, I'm sure you know, Ernest Ramirez, you you may have had him at at some of your events, you know, he lost his 17 year old son, Ernesto Jr. to the Pfizer shot, you know, five days, five days after his first shot, um, you know, and his autopsy revealed that his cause of death was acute myocarditis and it's directly related to that vaccine. Um, you know, so there are several people, and um, I don't know if you know Maddie DeGarry. She's another another just sad story that people might want to look into. You know, she's a beautiful twelve year old girl, right? She participates. And these are the these are the people whose parents have been out there speaking up. But there's twenty five thousand deaths that we know of, and the vast majority of people just put their loved one in the ground and they don't investigate it, and they certainly don't go on the media. Um, speaking about it. I mean, Scott Shara, his daughter was basically murdered in a hospital by a lethal dose of three different sedatives at once because they couldn't get her with remdesivir in an event because her dad said no to that. So she's languishing in the hospital for however long she was in there with 10-hour waits in the ER. And I don't know if they just wanted to get rid of her because they couldn't discharge her. She wasn't well. and But she was okay. She yeah. So like we have, we have these people who are the rare people who are willing to speak up and, you know, it's probably easy for those paying attention to think that these are just the one in a million cases, but you just said it, the Harvard Pilgrim study shows, and this was not just COVID. This is, this is vaccines in general. It's one in a hundred, but you just said there's evidence that even with anaphylaxis, it's one in 50 to one in 200. 50 to 120 times uh, more cases than were actually reported. You know, I have a friend that I talk to a lot about this stuff because she's completely other side as me, totally happy to line herself and her children up. She's from the Bay Area, super liberal. Um, And we, we talk about this and we talk and she's just like dismissive of theirs. And I'm like, but wait, you're willing to do whatever the CDC tells you and go get your third shot or your fourth shot, and you totally trust them. But then you want to tell me that VAERS is a really flawed reporting system. Yeah. It's their yeah. reporting it's system. Their reporting system, exactly right. People just, I, I don't understand. And I think like, I, I talk about that, and I actually, I read a substack, and I wrote a substack about how nurses have this tendency to compartmentalize things. You know, and, and we talk all the time. You'll hear nurses talk about how broken this system is. And, you know, how they, we don't have safe staffing and we don't, you know, they complain about everything and how broken the system is. And then they turn around and they will recommend, you know, fervently this vaccine from a a system that you just professed you do not trust at all. So I think, I don't know if that's one more example of how nurses compartmentalize everything. And, you know, it's just a defense mechanism. Um, 
But I think that we need to start kind of waking up and, and realizing what's happening, you know, and again, with the, with the, um, with the children, you know, I try to, I really try to encourage parents, you know, I just want to caution them, you know, before vaccinating your otherwise healthy child against COVID, you know, you have to keep in mind that, you know, if your child is to become injured or God forbid die from this shot, you know, it's your, you, your family alone that is going to be, um, you know, left with the burden of grief and care. There's nobody coming to help. There's nobody, um, you know, so, and, and the important thing to note, you know, is that there is an alternative, again, alternative to vaccination, that's early treatment, safe and effective, repurposed, FDA-approved therapeutics. Early treatment has shown to reduce hospitalization and mortality at least 85%. 85%. Yeah, they they took on early treatment in every method they could come up with from gaslighting any doctor who wants to prescribe it or speak up about it. I mean, what, 17 million views in a few hours that Pierre Corey got speaking to the Senate about the efficacy data on, on ivermectin. And it was a matter of hours after 17 million people watched that, YouTube deleted it. From censorship to gaslighting them to destroying people's careers to keeping us from even being able to get it. Um, and I think everybody, all vaccinated people really need to get some hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin so they yes. can maybe take it prophylactically because they have effectively long-term damaged their immune system, especially if they got two and three and four shots. I mean, I think Israel's on the fifth shot now. And it's a, I mean, it's a cumulative effect. And, you know, I, I really wish people would start waking up to this. And the irony, you know, what really bothers me is is watching, you know, doctors and some nurses are, you know, discrediting ivermectin and calling it a toxic horse dewormer. Um, you know, and I don't know what is more frightening to me is it that they would be complicit in the lie or that they don't know any better when they should, or that, or that they don't bother to do a little investigation. It's like why, are, like, aren't you curious why so many doctors? are talking about ivermectin and all you're just willing to just deliver the gaslighting line and not think past that. Like, please keep these doctors away from me and my family. Right. And that's because if you're, yeah. if you're that dumb, if you're that unwilling to do any research, I don't want you in my medical chart or my, in the same room with me or mine. Exactly. Right. And, you know, I, that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, what we're doing here is because, you know, this system, like I said, it is broken. It's unsustainable. It is unfixable at this point. And we need to just walk away. We need to take our, our knowledge, our skills and our passion, and we need to walk away from this system. You know, honestly, we just need to let it burn to the ground because we have been putting out the flames for far too long now. And we just need to let it, we just need to let it go. Um, you know, we need to be part of building a system that's going to build up, focus on true patient-centered care, build that up alongside of this broken system, you know, and just create the solution to everything that we've long known to be wrong in healthcare. You know, we've been working tirelessly at Nursery Network to try to create a path forward. Um, we want to cultivate our own environment, one where both nurses and patients alike can thrive in. You know, nurses are not known for being the healthiest of individuals either. Right. We, we, they have a lot of they have a lot of access to pills. 
That too. <laughs> that too. Um, but you know, we don't, we work these 12 hour shifts. We don't sleep right. We don't eat right. We don't hydrate well. Um, you know, so this is long overdue for us. You know, we cannot pour from an empty cup and we, we must make self-care a priority in order to better care for our patients. Yeah. I, I appreciate everything you're doing. How can we support nurse freedom network whatever it is i'll put it in the show notes is it mostly that you can be hired you guys can be hired as advocates when someone's loved one goes into a hospital and you're the one who knows the system and helps that patient and their family because everyone i just want to make note if you have not seen my seven stories that i did on families who feel that their loved one was murdered in hospital one of the little shenanigans they pull is that there's someone who works for the hospital called the patient advocate. And I just want to point out that if that person works for the hospital, they are not a patient advocate. They are a hospital advocate. Yes, so. they're, they're a hospital employee is what they are. Exactly right. But, you know, as we as we continue to grow Nurse Freedom Network, you know, we're pl- what I'm planning right now in, in the very beginning is I'm trying to um, organize events. I want to organize events just across the United States, cities and states across the United States. And we want to do this with the singular mission of elevating these stories of the vaccine and remdesivir injured, you know, as well as those who have lost loved ones um, due to deadly hospital protocols like Scott Shara. Um, him and I are actually doing an event uh, coming up here pretty soon. We're doing an event together. And, you know, we're prayerful that by doing this, we're going to awaken and recruit more nurses and then in turn save more lives. You know, and as, as part of these events that we're doing, we want to also present these nurses with opportunities that we've been able to source um, for them to give them this alternative you know, to, to break away from the system. And it can be, like you said, doing patient advocacy. Um, there are some, um, there's the always the option to do your own concierge nursing practice. And that's something that we can kind of help work through and, and get them set up to do that. And so you want nurses, you want nurses to come to you, but also on Nurse Freedom Network, which we'll share the link for down below. You can also hire a, a, a you, you as a patient advocate. Me, well, I'll tell you, I would like to, I'm, I feel like I'm busy advocating just in general, just trying to grow this, you know, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm long on a vision. I have all the vision and the passion you could ever want to do this. I'm very short on resources. We'll, we'll yeah, say yeah. that. Short on resources. So, um, you know, I have been, um, I have been funding the organization out of my pocket. You know, this is when, when I had an income, when I no longer have an income, that's not anything I can do any longer. And um, so, you know, we rely on donations and sponsorships that will help us, you know, to, to create these events. Um, I do want to tell you, we do have some really important events that are coming up. Like I said, I was going to be in um, Minnesota, May 20th. I am going to be in Princeton, Minnesota with uh, Scott Sharrow. We're going to do a faith and freedom event there. Um, and then the following day on the 21st, we are going to be doing one of our very first Nurse Freedom Network events where we're going to present, um, we'll do a discussion panel that will be uh, moderated and that'll be between myself and then several vaccine and remdesivir injured patients. Um, and the audience will be predominantly nurses. And then uh, that second part of that is going to be presenting these different um, alternatives that we're trying to source for them. Um, but June, now June is really when all the fun is going to begin. We we have um, our first fundraising dinner. It's going to be on June 11th. 
uh, historic maple lawn in Brentwood, Tennessee. I have Dr. Peter McCullough is actually, he so graciously accepted our invitation to be our keynote speaker. So I am so excited about that. The following day on June 12th, we're actually having a very large patient's rights rally. Um, Dr. McCullough is going to be joining us for that, you know, as well. We have Dr. Paul Merrick of FLCCC just confirmed this morning that he'll be joining us. We have Robert Scott Bell coming in. We have um, Ty and Charlene Bollinger coming in. Um, Scott Shera, Ernest Ramirez. So we've got a, a great lineup that, that's shaping up. Um, but again, you know, I... Okay, so that's a lot of different things you talked about. So do you want people to get on an email list at Nurse Freedom Network or? Yes, yeah, you can go to the website. All of the information on these events and everything are on the website. Um, So you can go on there and we have our Substack as well. Um, Okay. I I try to divert people to Substack because I'm so highly censored on social media. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that that way people get whatever you publish. And so if you want to follow Nurse... Nurse Freedom Network will share the link to Kimberly's Substack. So it's great that you're writing because honestly, some people want to read it. Some people want to watch the videos. And uh, so I, I I need to get going on Substack myself. Plus they, you know, it builds you an email list. And so you can have your contact go out. Like my friend, Jeff Childers here, copying yes. COVID. He's got this huge audience all over the country because he gets up and before he gets going in the morning, he just writes out what he's learned in the last 24 hours about the whole crazy goings on. Well, we will put your links down below and Kimberly, God bless you. And thank you for your willingness to be brave. We just need more like you. We got to recruit more nurses to the cause. We need more nurses who are willing to take a stand. We need more lawyers willing to take a stand. We need more doctors. We need the influencers. Most of my colleagues, they just keep their head down. They don't say a darn word about medical freedom. And it's like, what is your, what is the point? What is the point of what you do? And who you are, if you won't be willing to take a stand on this hill, which I will die on. Exactly. Oh, this is the hill I will be dying on right here. That's for Hopefully sure. we don't die, but if we do, we <laughs> do. So yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Kimberly Overton. Everybody go check her out on Substack. We'll have the link down below. Take care. Thank you so much.